Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. And on today, season four, episode five, we have Gabe Finocchio. Gabe Finocchio and his brother, Nate Finocchio, started Theos U. They've done a bunch of projects together, so maybe those names are familiar from music projects or projects at Hillsong or Vertical Worship or other things. But uh, we're talking about Theos U today, which is like the Netflix of theology. And uh, excited to get into the conversation. But before I do that, I want to let you know and remind you about the Digital Church Facebook group that I started. This Digital Church group, it's literally just called Digital Church. So if you go on Facebook or are looking for groups, search for Digital Church or facebook.com slash groups slash Word Made Digital. You'll find it there too. Of course, link it down in the show notes. But this Digital Church group uh, is something I've made on Facebook to gather together Christian leaders, whether you're in a church context or not, leaders who care about all things digital in the church. And so if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably you. (laughs) You probably care about thinking around the church and how the digital age has affected how we live as Christians, how we reach people, how we grow people in their faith, and how we think about the consequences of digital as Christians and as leaders in our day-to-day life. So uh, Digital Church is a resource to you. It's a networking place. Um, There's hundreds of leaders now who have been joining, and um, it's been amazing to see just like knowledge sharing, question asking, um, some fun stuff that we've been doing in the group. So join the group. Um, There's going to be some surprises along the way. I want to start doing some giveaways and stuff like that in the group. So join Digital Church Facebook group and don't miss it. Hey, thanks so much to Compassion uh, for their partnership ongoing with this podcast. I just love Compassion and what they're doing in the world, uh, specifically at this time. You know, COVID-19 can try to separate us as a global community, but it's not going to be successful. Your gift to Compassion's Disaster Relief Fund can help vulnerable children and families survive this huge crisis that's going on in the world right now. Now, imagine how much worse the pandemic would be if, if for you and for your family, if you didn't have access to basic food, you know, hygiene supplies, housing security, job security, or government support if you lost your job. Well, we can join this global movement that's protecting the most vulnerable. But what I love about Compassion is that they have been working in these communities through the local church long before the pandemic ever happened. They're working now in the midst of this huge crisis, faithfully serving, and they're going to be there after faithfully serving through the local church. And so the local church knows the names and the faces of the kids and the families and the stories of the community that they serve. So when you partner with them, you're actually partnering from you and your local church to them and their local church to make a huge difference. Go to compassion.ca slash COVID today to give. And of course, link in the show notes. Wycliffe College as well, an amazing longtime partner of this podcast. Wycliffe College is the evangelical graduate school of theology at the University of Toronto that I went to. I love it because it's evangelical, but also really robust academically. Um, It's right up there in the ratings with like the Princetons and uh, the, you know, the Harvards of the world in terms of what they're doing academically as a theological school. So also I have the opportunity right now of of helping to teach a class, lecture in a class called uh, Church and Technology. It's been really fun to join in on that class 
classes, discussions as we wrestle through those theological implications of church and technology. And we're doing it, of course, all online. So they offer courses typically online or in person, but right now lots of stuff's online and available to you. Super surprisingly affordable compared to a lot of other schools. So I encourage you to check out wickliffcollege.ca slash digital. You can see a bit about why I chose that school out of a few other options and why you might love it too. Okay. Coming up now, my interview with Gabriel Finocchio of Theos U, and we're talking about this Netflix of theology that is Theos U, and and I love all the depth of learning that they're providing on this, and we're going to kind of talk about this new way of learning that we're all doing online and why it was the time for them to start this, but they have courses in this theology, uh, this theology curriculum that they're offering, including things like Defense Against the Dark Arts, which if you're a Harry Potter fan, you're going to love that course just by the name alone. So uh, Gabe, along with Nathan Pinocchio, they've been connected with Hillsong Church, Vertical Worship, and Harvest Church. They've led tons of theological training programs and classes and workshops at their own churches. And uh, they had a band called The Royal Royal. Maybe you know some of their songs from that. And you know what? They're both like a pretty entertaining follow on Instagram. So I think you're going to love this conversation with Gabe Pinocchio. So let's dive right in. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 4, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Gabriel Finocchio, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm pumped to have you. Thank you, Joanna. Great to be here. <laughs> hey, I mean, we um, we are entering into, people won't see this if they're just listening to the audio, we're entering into what I think looks like, um, you know, a, a priestly library, a Harry Potter vibe. You've got amazing bookshelf <laughs> and candles. There's like a, a moose behind you or a deer or something. <laughs> So tell us, you know, like give us a brief introduction on on yourself and let's and assume that people don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I appreciate the compliment on my library. Um, and I assure you, I am not this organized. Um, I don't know if if your viewers will be seeing this via video or just hearing about it, but it's it is quite elaborate and I'm not. Um, <clears throat> I'm artistic, but I'm not organizational in that sense. And so I, I actually had some folks, some friends of mine who are like amazing designers come in and help me design my library. So um, the books are real and <laughs> they're not plastic. Uh, but yeah, they are. Um, if it was up to me, it would just be, you know, books stacked up on, on, on top of each other and a total mess. But I appreciate the uh, the compliment. So, yeah. I am a teacher at um, an, uh, with an organization called Theosu. Uh, my brother and I started Theosu uh, in August of last year, and uh, it's basically an online. Um, well, it's it's basically the Netflix of theology. <laughs> that would be the easiest way to, to say it. If you know, it, basically, if you want a distilled version of 
Bible courses that you would typically get in a first or second year Bible college um, at first or second year Bible college level uh, without all the academic apparatus um, or just, you know, the pressure of timelines and and especially the cost. Um, we we charge eleven dollars a month and it's uh, you have full access to. Yeah, I would say seminary level courses in terms of the content, but but also distilled into like a full course might be four hours long. Um, but it's, you know, little bite sized portions of like 10 minutes each segment. So it's it's really convenient for people. So, yeah, so I um, I live in the States and I, I reside in metropolis of Allentown, Pennsylvania, which nobody's ever heard of. And that's completely fine. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I will say uh, Tim Keller was born and raised in Allentown. So if you know Tim Keller, then there you well, go. You're in good intellectual company then. <laughs> Great things come from Allentown. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, so. I mean, I don't uh, know why I'm, that's not on the top of the website for TSU, you know. <laughs> well, I it's actually just. <laughs> it's endorsed just, by the birthplace of. <laughs> Tim Keller. I should actually find out where he was born and raised, what house he lived in and go stand next to it and get a, a, a selfie or something. I haven't actually looked into that, but. I, yeah, I was actually just perusing through his, his, some biographical details recently and, and saw that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So, but yeah. I, oh, sorry. I, 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 have a bunch of questions. We'll see where we meander with this, but I got to jump in here since this is, we're talking about, we're talking about Tim Keller. I'm going to start yeah. right where we're at. Uh, he doesn't strike me as the kind of person theologically you might, um, affiliate yourself towards, but I think you have like a very eclectic theological background. So like, let's talk about that because I think where you're coming from as a, as an academic is going to inform the kind of school you're creating. And so, um, what is that history for you? You know, Tim Keller is this reformed, you know, history. I think you have some charismatic to give us Mm -hmm. the, give us the, (laughs) the, the picture there. Yeah. Well, what colors so, are we painting with? <laughs> yeah, so well, exactly. I do think that. So, geez, um, the way I would phrase this is that uh, there are two types of ecumenical activity. Um, there, there's the ecumenical activity that moves um, away from the center, and then there's the ecumenical activity that moves towards the center. Um, uh, I think it's it's centrifugal versus centripetal. And so you have so w- the idea here is um, ecumenical activity that moves towards the center is, in my opinion, going to be much more orthodox, uh, regardless of the 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 differences um, and the divisions. And so so the ecumenical, the, the, in other words, I am very open to anybody who's trying to maintain mere Christianity. <laughs> and so I see, so, you know, <clears throat> um, there's, there's, a, I think there's a, a little, you know, legend that C.S. Lewis sent. This could be true. Um, I think I read it somewhere that C.S. Lewis sent um, his, his copy of mere Christianity to a number of different pastors and, and uh, Christian leaders. He sent, he sent uh, a copy to 
uh, an Orthodox, you know, Eastern Orthodox priest, a Roman Catholic priest, uh, a Presbyterian pa- uh, pastor, um, an Anglican priest. And he just wanted to get their opinion of that book. And they all really agreed on it. Oh, <laughs> and, cool. Yeah. And there was a unity in his in his in his work and i think that's the idea behind a mere christianity approach which i am in favor of so my ecumenical activity is mere christianity i want uh, i want unity around the essentials i think saint augustine said uh in the essentials unity um and then in in the non-essentials you know diversity but in everything love and so the idea here is um, certainly, you know, if we're working towards a unity, I just think it should be a unity found uh, founded in the roots of the tree. So there's a lot of people, again, like the opposite, you know, the opposite form of unity, which I dislike, to be honest with you, is <laughs> I get annoyed at it. Uh, it's I would consider it to be a superficial unity because what it does is instead of drilling down to the roots and and trying to find a lowest common denominator in the roots of the tree, it actually tries to tie all the tops of the trees together and say, hey, look, we're all we're all one tree. And you're like, well, not really. <laughs> you know, it looks like it's one tree because you've tied all the tops together, huh. but they're all separate trees. So for me, that's not the kind of ecumenical activity that I'm interested in participating in because I don't think it's, I don't think it's authentic. I, I don't think it's genuine, and I think that people want authenticity and genuine and and genuine behavior, and I don't I don't think people want to be lied to. So, so that's that's the rabbit hole on that one. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, from what I yeah, I mean, what I know of you, even in your your personal history, I think your father is or was um, a Pentecostal uh, pastor. Uh, yeah, my dad's a pastor of a church in, in Harriston, Ontario, called Crossroads Life Church, and it is a non-denominational, charismatic, Pentecostal leaning. Uh, but not officially Pentecostal, as in PAOC or yeah. Assemblies of God. Um, okay. Yeah. And then I think, uh, I mean, as I as I know a little bit about you, I think you also spent time with the Harvest Crew in the Chicago area. Yes. Which feels like a, yeah. a like a like a real pendulum swing in a different, or maybe you're you're jumping from tree branches to tree branches, if that's your metaphor. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's that's yeah, definitely. I would again say that that kind of <clears throat> that kind of diversity exists within orthodoxy, right? So there's 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 orthodoxy, there's mere Christianity, and then within that, yeah, you do have um, tribes, and so I would, you know, I would just say that yeah, that's the state. It's kind of the state of Protestant Christianity that you have, yeah. um, you have these various tribes sometimes warring, <laughs> which is, which is, it is what it is. But, uh, I, I definitely, I was a part of, yeah, Harvest Bible Chapel for two years. Um, and I was helping them with actually, I wasn't actually teaching their, uh, theology. I was actually helping them with music and I was a part okay. of their, uh, yeah, I was a part of their music program and their music, uh, development at the church. And, and they have, um, they have, they have a band called 
a worship band called Vertical Church Band, and I was a part of that as well. So very, but very briefly, I was I was um, on a couple of their albums um, because music is kind of the first, you know, my first love, if you will. So okay, but I mean, even in that, I mean, I I don't know if you're songwriting, <clears throat> but but the songs we, th- we want to talk about theology, like the songs we sing, matter so much to the development yeah. of the theology of a church. You know, it's yeah. the it's the like takeout box, like the thing yep. you remember after the service that you go home with. I think yep. more than most other things that happen in a in a typical church service, you're going to remember these songs. They just sit with you. And so if the 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 songs have bad theology in them, then it develops a person who is not maybe a a rounded and thinking person. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that I mean that you, I think it's uh, it can be a challenge then to write a song with someone who might have a different position on some, I mean, some songs, you know, as you say, it's on the essentials, it's God's love and Jesus died on the cross. But when you get into some of the nuance of songwriting <laughs> uh, and worship, yeah. writing, uh, yeah. you can start to divide. Well, that's true. There are songs that I, <laughs> it's interesting as a song leader, as a worship leader, um, there, there, there have been songs that I've disagreed with theologically that I've still led um, and still sung because for me, there's a bigger thing going on than simply my, my personal views on and opinions in theology. Um, and, and, and in that sense, so, um, I'll give you as an example, there's a song, uh, that's just a wonderful, um, hymn, really modern hymn, um, uh, I believe it's written by, gosh, who wrote, uh, it's, it's, um, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, my hope is found. All alone so this is a wonderful hymn, but there's a, I think there's a, a line in it that talks about, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, in a, in a way that, um, calls into question, uh, the, the nature of the atonement of, of Christ and how, um, Christ, you know, was, <clears throat> you know, uh, Christ was to a degree separated from the father, which I don't believe. And I also don't believe that the father was the one that killed Christ. Um, <laughs> so I don't, so in, in that sense, um, you know, what I would say is that, you know, C.S. Lewis got it right when, when Aslan is delivered to the witch to be killed. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the father isn't the witch, right? Right. of Narnia, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I disagree with that, although that line is in there and it's a, it's a highly Calvinistic, you know, interpretation there. So I still sang that and <clears throat> I don't, I don't mind, you know, that, uh, in terms of it, it, it's something that I disagree with, but I'm not going to divide over it in terms of, I'm not going to make a big stink about it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to create a bunch of drama over it, you know, because I just think, um, now if the whole song was about that concept, right. Then I would say, well, I don't think I'm not, I'm not really comfortable with leading this song because, because really the, the, the majority of the point on this song is about a doctrine that I disagree with. So I won't sing that song. But if there's just a, a line in it that we disagree with, you know, and sometimes we get hypercritical um, and I dislike that. Right. I think it's 
sometimes just too um, nitpicky. We want this perfection um, that really, I don't think it's reasonable to ask for in the state of the church as it is. <laughs> Major, if we were major on the minors is sort of what you're saying. There, yeah, yep. there's people that there's people that major on the minors instead of majoring in the majors. And they they try to, you know, they find a song that they disagree with theologically and then they they try to, you know, publicize it and and publicize their disagreement and make a big fuss over it and it's really not worth making a fuss over. There are a number of songs like that and there are a number of people like that and I just dislike that. I just think that especially in Protestantism we should we should just we should just circle the wagons and be grateful we're not being killed by by you know the <laughs> the you know people that are shooting at us on the outside <laughs> of the wagons i'm just saying like I, there, there's a point where I, there's a point where like we live in such a secular culture that i just think i'm more interested in unity than i am in in um Division, and if reckless, you know? if reckless love is, if if God's love can be defined as reckless, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I just I think that that's ridiculous, you know. And yeah, and, you know, my problem with that song isn't the chorus. My problem with that song is probably, if I had a problem, it would be actually the bridge, where the bridge talks about how God just chases us down and. And, you know, he 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 um, there's nothing that there's no wall he won't tear down coming after us, which I actually think is it. That's more that's that's more the issue with me. I, I, I have no problem with reckless love. I have because I think God's love is naturally reckless <clears throat> in the sense that it would it's unconditional. But I think that the fact that the, the idea that God wouldn't ever the idea that Jesus would never tell the rich young ruler to sell everything he has and follow him and then and then allow him the rich young ruler to walk away is unbiblical jesus jesus did not chase the rich young ruler down he didn't you know climb over all the walls you know <laughs> and say hey you know run up to him and shake him yeah. and say what are you doing yeah. i'm jesus yeah. i'm the son of god why you know i'm chasing you down my love for you is irresistible i i think that the love of god is ir- i think and this is where I think, you know, I mean, I don't know, like your, your, your viewers or listeners are really going to get annoyed with me because I'm, I'm going everywhere with this. But no, it's good. It's good. Know, I disagree with both irresistible grace and irresistible love. And I think that those both of those schools of thought actually come from two sides of the ditch um, <clears throat> that that one being reformed. And then the other being um, modernist, and mm-hmm. I think the, I think both of those issues are problematic. And I think that, um, you know, we have this idea of love that it's irresistible that that God, you know, He would never send anybody to hell. Uh, he would never, um, He would never, you know, He would never say no to anyone. He would never punish anyone, um, and He forces Himself on us in His love. And I just disagree with that. I think that people can resist his love, and they do. And that's why hell exists, because they want mm-hmm. to be separated from him. And as, Lu- as, C.S., as C.S. Lewis said in The Great Divorce, in the end, there's two people. There's the people that God says—there's people that, God, that say to God, 
your will be done. And there's people that God says your will be done, you know? So it's like, so for me, and, and for me, I just think that we're in a cultural moment, I think, that isn't the Calvinist Reformation, you know, cultural moment. I think the cultural moment that we're in predominantly is a liberal moment. <clears throat> so this liberal moment, you're, you're, you're speaking around it, but I want to ask it to get a more direct answer. Why do you think theological literacy or why do you think that people need to learn more about theology? The average person, why do they need more theology in this cultural moment? Well, yeah, this is this is a really good question. Um, the frank and candid answer is that theology is not being taught anymore from the pulpit and proper Every sound, pulpit or some pulpits. I would say in the progressive megachurch model okay. where you have where you have um, the, the where you're seeing the greatest growth, right, um, in in megachurches. <clears throat> um, I believe megachurches are the denominations of the future. I think you're probably going to see in the next 10 to 20 years, megachurches becoming their own denominations um, and replacing mainline denominations, um, which which is a whole can of worms in and of itself. But within that, you have models for growth that are creating this um, this emergence and of the megachurch and some I'm not condemning the models for growth but some of a lot of those models are very superficial because they ask of the believer for simply an hour of their time on Sunday and within that hour there is uh, a very superficial presentation of Christianity so that the person it's all geared towards the person coming back. Right. So it's, it's, so what I'm trying to say is this type of ministry is, um, what was called, used to be called seeker sensitive. Um, and yeah. yeah, And, and so I don't mind being seeker sensitive or seeker friendly. Right. Um, but I do think that the Holy spirit has some things to say that he wants to say, and that when we come to church, we should actually be prepared to meet God because I can meet my friends for coffee. <laughs> I can meet I can meet my buddies at the bar on Friday, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I do and I do. Um, but the idea here is um, I just I, I personally think that theology is not being taken seriously. Uh, and people are, people are coming to church and they're having experiences that are positive, but the teaching is many times very, very shallow. And it's unfortunate. I, I think that, again, it's the reason why it's shallow is because it's, it's, it's because it is attractional, you know, and the way, the way I like to say this is, uh, kids love junk food. When I was a kid, I wanted to eat Captain Crunch for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? <laughs> I wanted to eat, um, like if you ask a, a five-year-old what they want or a 10-year-old what they want to eat, they will probably tell you, you know, 
you know, hot dogs and pizza and chicken fingers and <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> yeah, just sure. food that's food that's eventually going to give you colon cancer. And so the idea here <laughs> is that is that I just don't believe that God wants to give us colon cancer spiritually. Right. <laughs> I believe that God, you know, in the scriptures, Paul writing to Timothy in the leadership epistles, right? These are the, these are first and second Timothy and Titus where where we actually are not supposed to be reading these letters. These letters were written to men. They were not written to churches and they were written in a private setting. So we are listening in to Paul's advice, his leadership podcast, exclusive to Timothy. And yeah, we're reading the DMs, right? We're reading their DMs. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. is that is that that is precisely what what First and Second Timothy and Titus are. But it's amazing that the Holy Spirit said, "No, we I want this to be a part of the canon of of, of Scripture and the." And the, the, you know, I want this to be public. I want this to be understood publicly. But in those letters, Paul constantly talks about sound doctrine. And Paul, he's, he uses this word soundness, um, which is in, in the Greek, it just means healthy. It means, it means a, a healthy, you know, as we would talk about a healthy diet, Right. We live in a world that like whole foods is is amazing, right? We want organic, right? We want gluten free or whatever. We we care about our diet. We no, care I want about all we... the. I need all the gluten. Thanks. <laughs> we want you know vegan. You know we want a vegan diet. Did you see? I have to ask you about this. Did you see Brian Adams get in trouble about his comments? recently on Instagram. Um, do you mean the thing about the, the, the wet markets? Is that what you're referring yes. to? Yes. Yeah. yeah a bit yeah. offside, buddy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, so, I mean, you know, Brian Adams, I love Brian Adams. I'm a faithful, I mean, Canadian, I'm a loyal, but, but I'm a loyal Canadian. Yeah. But, but the idea here is that he used that, <laughs> the funniest bit, the funniest bit about that was that he goes off and loses his mind on this on this post and at the end of it he, at the end of it he plugs veganism <laughs> he goes, Does he, oh, okay i didn't see that i didn't he read goes, that far. yeah at the end he goes just become a vegan or something he goes you know he's like he's like everybody oh should gosh. be vegan if we were all vegan this would never have happened <laughs> oh, man. oh man so so all that to say, all that to say, rewinding it and, and you know, I apologize. I'm, I'm probably offending half your viewers here, but um, you probably won't air this. I'm assuming you won't air this. But. <laughs> well, <laughs> so well, I don't anyways. know. We'll see where we keep going with it. But okay. I, what we're but what you're you're talking about here, um, this idea of the theological literacy, the need for it, you know, the the junk food you know, the critique of the mega church, you know, I worked, I worked in a Canadian version of one with, a, uh, I would say the, it was like a charismatic Hillsong vibe for the worship. And then the teaching yeah. was like, let's go hang out with Tim Keller in a reformed, you know, oh. line by line preaching kind of setting. And it was oh, okay. always a challenge, right? Cause then it feels like, to be honest, then you feel like you're pleasing neither side. <laughs> so okay. the people who want to okay. come yeah. for the for the motivational pre I mean we it was a growing and large church so I, I mean certainly we were pleasing somebody but 
Uh, yep. I mean, if the goal is to please, I think I would suggest it's not. But it's this, yeah, you 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 displease the people who want that motivational preaching, feel great, empowered for the week, and then you displease the others who think the music is too loud and why is there a smoke machine? I just want you to teach me about the book of Romans. <laughs> right. So you right, feel right, like right, you don't right. get eat, you you almost you yeah. you almost miss both. Yeah. So so yeah. So I would say this. Because I, I don't want to come across like, um, you know, trying to be narrow. I'm, I'm being narrow minded about this. I do think that Sundays, you can only do so much on a Sunday. Yes. Right. OK, so Sundays are, are limited by their nature and you have kids and families and all this other stuff. And you have a number of things in the order of service that you want to get through. I'm not saying that, that the pastor has to get up and, uh, you know, preach expositionally through the book of Romans for 50 minutes in order to properly do justice, you know, uh, to, to sound doctrine or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that, um, there's more, there's more, there's more. And that moreness, uh, is not being, uh, emphasized because it's so easy to just ramp everything towards the weekend experience because the weekend experience puts butts in seats, and and many times the entire metric of success is based upon how many people attended on Sunday. Yes, and how many people attended on Sunday, and yes, it obviously uh, is connected to money, as most things in the modern world are. Uh, you know, the the um, the fact that a um, you know, yeah, you're, you're getting, you're getting your money on Sunday. Sundays are paydays, right? So, um, I'm going to offend a lot of people by saying that too, but <laughs> you can't win. I'm an equal opportunity <laughs> offender here. Hey, and well, so, you're a pastor's kid. I mean, there's some credibility even, I mean, you work in ministry, but you know, you grew up in a home where the food on your table was because people gave to your church where your dad led and, you know, yeah, it's complex. There's nothing, yeah. There's nothing wrong with, yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with with churches making money. Uh, I think that 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 the purpose of it is to serve the mission of the church um, and should be. And so we support pastors through through that. And and as they give themselves to the church, they should be remunerated. And the, the scripture clearly teaches that. Actually, Paul says that they're, those who who lead are worthy of double honor, which is not just the honor of of their position of authority, but also the honor of being paid and, and, you know, and remunerated for their work so, so that they can focus on that, that task. So it's, a, it's, yeah, I totally believe in, in paying pastors. I don't believe pastors should be poor. I think pastors should be uh, able to have a family and not have to have a second job and yeah. have a normal life so that they can, so that they can work. So, um, and work, for the church. But all that aside, I'm talking about a 40,000 foot level view of uh, why there's not more during the week. So I just think that part of, and and part of the motivation is that, yeah, there's less of a motive or there's, there's less of an impulse uh, or, or there's, there's less of a, yeah, there's less of a desire to meet during the week. If those aren't, days where people can, you know, many times pour back into the church financially. Um, and, and so that many times in the mega church model discourages 
discourages the communal experience of the week. And so I, but I personally believe that the communal experience of the week, mon, uh, Monday to Saturday, is actually where discipleship takes place hmm. in its main e- e- effect. I think the main effect of discipleship, Sundays, everything that a church does disciples its people. So like from the moment that a person walks into the building and they're greeted with a smile, they're being discipled to smile, right? You know, so it's like everything you do in a church disciples, but um, but Monday to Saturday is an opportunity for actual community, the communal experience of the body of Christ living together and doing life together. That is substantial, and that is where Theosu comes in because, and, and and that's that that's what's not in my experience, in my experience, and really this is much of this is kind of anecdotal because it's based on ex- personal experience, right? But um, I don't know the statistics on all of this, right? <laughs> I'm sure George yeah. Barna does, but so- the <laughs> yeah. Well, I would just say that I would just say that you're creating people who are um, biblically illiterate and and therefore doctrinally illiterate, and that's that's actually a a, a a big piece too. And biblically illiterate leading to doctrinally illiterate leading to spiritually illiterate in their relationship with the Lord, because we, we as we know about God, we know God. And it's, it's like a dating relationship when you, you know, if someone's dating, you know, you go on a date, you talk with each other and you ask each other questions and that knowledge translates into intimacy. And the, right. the more you, the more you know about a person, the more you know that, that person. Right. <clears throat> and so, and so, and so, so the first rung would be biblical literacy where we teach, where we teach what the Bible teaches, but that should lead us to doctrinal literacy where we know we because there's a lot of people who know their bible but they don't actually know what the bible means. <laughs> and that's actually where we get into a lot of the wrangling de- denominationally but because it you know the bible brings every the bible is what all the denominations use to fight each other. <laughs> right, right. So what, what, I mean, what, you're, what you're talking about here, um, speaking about division, the thing, the tool that they're using to divide, um, you know, this whole <clears> podcast, <throat> one of the themes, we're talking word made digital. So I'm, I'm interested in, in investigating this digital age that we live in and how it is yeah. changing the church. Um, yeah. Or how maybe how it's changing the church, or how it's how it's the water that we swim in. Even when we're meeting face to face, we probably arranged it over a digital form to get together. So, right. um, what I'm going to go back and say, you know, oversimplifying, we got a printing press in the 1500s. Suddenly, yep. the Bible, 1400s, media, 1400s, 14, sorry, 1400s, and then there was yep. this Reformation in the 1500s. This radical change you know, in the, in that century of church, a division and, and oversimplifying. It's like people had the book in their hand. Many for the first time were able to read it for themselves and began to ask a lot of questions about, uh, theology, um, where they maybe you know, all they had access to before was whatever they were taught by leadership. So now fast forward, I'm oversimplifying, but fast forward, we're in another major technological communications tool change. Uh, yeah. We have this internet, we have the iPhone, we got all this stuff that's, that's spinning around us. Um, 
what are you seeing as like the shifts or or the the needs for new investigation into theology? Uh, is there a danger of more division? You know, like where there was a split in the church with that major communication tool introduction, the printing press, and now yeah. this major new tool, the internet, over the last yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Uh, is it splitting us? Is it, or is it, you know, what's happening? What are you seeing with that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a Luddite. I don't think technology is the, is the enemy. Um, I, I think technology and, and the machine is amoral and is simply a tool, you know, just like a plow, you know, is a tool, right? You can use the plow to break up your ground for farming, or you can use it to probably, I don't know, cut somebody's, you know, arm off or something. I don't know. (laughs) You can can use it. You know, the Bible, the Bible actually talks about that where, where swords will be beaten into plowshares. So you can, you can use the plowshare as a, as a, as a means by which you, you live and move and, and enjoy good economy, or you can use it for militancy. So the idea here is that the machine is amoral in its in its uh, function, uh, but it, so so the printing press is is um, as a machine. It was it was a great invention, and it interestingly was not suppressed as an invention. If we look at the nature of how the church handled, you know, the church of the of the fifteenth century did not suppress the um the 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 press it did not it it did not say the printing press is evil and should be destroyed because we hate science and technology <laughs> no the church was actually the thing that gave birth to the renaissance it the renaissance came out of the medieval middle the medieval period where we where we rediscovered architecture coming out of the dark ages and and uh, you know, Lanfranc and, and Volpiano built the, uh, the 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 cathedrals, the Gothic cathedrals that we that we go to Europe and and take pictures of, and we love. So the Renaissance, the Church never suppressed the Renaissance. The Renaissance, Leonardo da Vinci, wasn't a Protestant, right? So <laughs> you know, the, these guys, um, these guys were science and technology were encouraged by the Church. Um, the issue with the printing press is, yeah, there, there were areas where, you, again, you can use anything for evil, right? You can use the plowshare to, to, to make a sword and kill people, right? Um, so the idea here is that technology is not the enemy. The, the, um, it, if anything, it's a means by which we can propagate the gospel just as the printing press is 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 a means by which we can propagate the Bible, right? So in this sense, um, um, I think the internet ha- is a revolution. The internet is a an information revolution, and I think that those who <laughs> those who do not get on the bus get run over by the bus. <laughs> right. That's an, uh, that's a, that's that is a very unfortunate case, but I think that it's true in the sense that. Those who are not able to change and adapt to the technology, um, in that sense, Die. they get well. Unfortunately, yeah, they go they go the way of the dinosaur because because it's a revolution. 
right? Right. It is a rev. It is a revolution that has taken place, and all revolutions take place silently, right? All revolutions take place without publicity, and the, it's it's after the revolution has taken place that that the blood flows in the streets, right? Um, so, you know, it's like after, like when Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, nobody cared. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> well, not but right that, away. <laughs> well, not right away. Right. Yeah. And then I mean, I mean, pe- yeah, people cared and people answered it and, and all, all, you know, intellectuals cared. But the, the common person didn't know anything about it until 1917. And then you see the revolution and then you see blood flowing in the streets, you know, 80 years after this book has come out. So what we what we have what we have to understand is that yeah these revol- revolutions are silent and over the last 30 years the internet has has created an information revolution and you we have we have to adapt we have to get we have to get with it and and teaching education itself is being completely upended and i yeah. think that brick and brick and mortar schools are well i think they'll still exist to a degree, um, <clears throat> as I'm sure CD players are somewhere, you know, in the world. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but well, okay, I, but yeah, let's yeah, the, this idea of like um, I want to talk about what you think from your view. What isn't yeah. because maybe it's not every, it wouldn't be the the everyone's view. But I love your view on what do you think isn't working about traditional in light of this silent revolution, what isn't working about traditional theological education. And then more as we're looking in this time of a pandemic, schools of all, not just theology schools, schools of all kinds are trying to figure out what this looks like to do primary, you know, almost all of what they're doing on the internet. Um, What, what are you sort of observing here and in this revolution we're in of the internet? Yeah. Uh, I think that, well, that's a really broad question, Joanna, (laughs) but I think that in terms of how it affects certainly theology and teaching is, is, you know, that's why we started Theosu. Theosu was a, a, an idea that Nathan and I had and my brother-in-law about the nature of education being, um, being, digitized because, uh, for, for the purpose of being um, promoted, right? For, for the purpose of actually opening up the, the floodgate of, of accessibility and proximity so that you no longer have to move halfway around the country in order to go to school. You, don't, you no longer have to pay exorbitant prices to do so. You no, you no longer have to you know, in, in terms of like the old brick and mortar idea of education, it's it's just obsolete. And I think in ter- it's going to be obsolete because of the Internet. The Internet has changed the way that people communicate. And therefore, th- therefore, it's it's changed the way that education is conducted. And it will continue to do that with right. the pandemic. The pandemic has forced people to to agree with us. <laughs> the pandemic. I will say this, the pandemic, we have seen massive growth uh, at Theosu because of the pandemic. And it's and it's I don't believe it's just because people are staying home. I think it's also because people are just like, yeah, you know, the Internet, this works. This this is right. This right. This is something. Yeah, this is something that actually works for us. And 
Um, yeah, in that practical sense, um, the, the pandemic is teaching us that the Internet can actually help us to do a lot of things, even in work that we know. How, we, you know I think the, the pandemic is teaching people that they don't have to go into work. <laughs> well, even I think it was Twitter. I just saw Twitter this week announced that indefinitely forevermore people at Twitter can work at home forever. They basically said, we're going to create, we're going to go back to an office environment, but if you don't want to come, you can continue your job indefinitely from home forever. Love that. That's love that. So we're seeing like a a corporate shift in philosophy, but, but in that, I mean, I'm seeing too, as I'm reading articles about, you know, I, I went to a university, a Canadian university. I did a business degree. Then I went to another Canadian secular university where I went to an evangelical seminary at a secular, secular university, Wycliffe college. And, and I took courses online, but I mainly took courses in person. And what, I mean, there's something that is lost in the experience of being a student, I mean, even if it's just like they're joking, like I'm seeing on the late night shows with Stephen Colbert and stuff, they're joking about like, you know, like their schools are going to be online in the fall, but they're going to still send you like your, you know, your pack of cheap beer and like your bong right. and all this kind of stuff. Like the the, right. the part, I mean, that wasn't all entirely my own university experience, but, but the, the things that are part of an education are not just right. listening to a lecture. Right. Uh, or writing a paper there there's something about education that's the environment yep. um so i guess i'm just I trying agree. to wrestle through what yeah. might be lost yeah. uh, if yes. everything is on the internet and the same you right. know we could say about church community of course we do desire to still to be face to face yes and i totally agree with you i think that there's a, there is a philosophical objection through aesthetics right that um, people want there's something beautiful about the essence of a person being there, right? That you are losing by simulation, that you're losing through an artificial means of of communication, or you know, um, yeah. I would obviously, if you asked, if you asked a group of people, uh, you know, ten people, if they would like to have to be in in the room or there to like have their the person speaking to them to be in the room with them, I'm sure nine out of 10 would say, yes, we would prefer that. And I, and I think that that, that desire and preference is, is, is a part of the aesthetics of, of optics, right? That you, you want to feel like the moment is live and you want to feel like you could ask a question. You want, there's a potency in that. Um, that is very important. And so I think that, yes, I, I would be one of those people. I would much prefer to be in the room with my professor. And I was in my seminary, you know, and I was the one who was always asking the stupid questions and (laughs) to the point where they duct taped my, my arms and and, and they actually ended up, they put, they ended up putting a straight jacket on me. Um, partly, <laughs> partly, partly because I was crazy and partly because I was asking too many questions. But the, uh, <laughs> the idea here is that, yes, um, I do think we're losing something. I, I do think we should preserve if we can, and at all costs, um, that, that kind of, um, organic, uh, connection through communication. I do think those, those that is a very important thing. I at the same time I do think that there is 
a that model is very expensive. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. So it's like so I have friends all over the United States and Canada and I so I have I've particularly like probably 10 buddies that are that I've been friends with for, for years. And we call each other as guys do. Guys talk once every 6 months. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're good. Like they, they fill up the gas and then they go <laughs> and then they fill up the gas and then they go, you know? So, so that's just, that's the psychology of, of men to a degree into a large part. So I would say, I call these guys once in a while, if, you know, and listen, I would love to fly out to Portland to hang out with, with my friends there. I would love to fly out to wherever they are right in Houston or you know, LA or whatever, but I can't always do that. Sure. Does that make sense? So I yeah. have to, I, because it's expensive. So I would have, I have to, I have to make sacrifices and say, you know what? We're going to Skype instead. Yeah. We're going to call and we're just going to have it. We'll have a six hour Skype conversation and that will have to do now. Now, you know, once in a while I will, like last summer, my buddy lives in Sacramento. One of my best friends, and I went, I went out there for a week and him and I just partied and hang and hung out at the time of our lives. But that's exceptional because of the, the expense. So I just think that, I think that technology offers an inexpensive way that people can still function. And, and that, that technology, um, as any other, as any technology is, is there to supplement Technology is always there to supplement, and um, even even theologically, technology, in my opinion, is a part of the fall of man. Technology is—I don't believe we're actually going to have technology in heaven at all. Huh. Yeah, no cars in heaven. Sorry, sorry. Well, uh, I guess no I'm, I'm, no, I'm no spaceships. I'm yeah, I'm thinking well, what, you know, it, it depends what you define as, you know, is a pen, a pencil, I suppose, is a form of technology. The wheel is a form of technology. You know, there's so much to technology. But I mean, I'm just uh, aware of the time here and want to honor your time. And so I think you're kind of around this issue. But to, to ask more directly, uh, yeah. who is the us you for? Like when you're thinking of um, your who you made this for, um, you know, who did you have in mind or who do you hope will be the kind of person that will jump into this? You know, um, our our heart is for the everyday person, the ordinary man and woman and their ordinary children and their ordinary family life. We made Theosu for people who are just ordinary Christians and who just who want to have a great relationship with the Lord by knowing him through through the revelation of the gospel, through the revelation that's found in scripture. And so our, our, our heart is to reach them. We, we started Theosu for that purpose and that reason. We're, we're developing within Theosu uh, even deeper pathways by which people can, uh, you know, grow in that, but um, even academic pathways. But Theosu as the idea itself was, it's a democratic idea. We believe that um, people are priests and kings before God. And so it's, it's theology shouldn't just be limited to a priestly class, kind of a spiritual aristocracy, if you will, 
by which, you know, oh, they know, but we don't, you know. Um, the idea here is that you should be able to understand the outline of theology. You should be able to understand points about theology. You should you should be able to be to to know the Lord more and more and more through His Word. And by knowing Him through His Word, you the more things you know about Him, the more things you love about Him. And that's really the purpose of knowledge. Knowledge isn't for pride. Knowledge is for the purpose of love. And so, um, and so, you know, that growing in our love for the Lord in the context of a relationship with him, as we would with anyone in relationship that we're in relationship with, again, discovering people in relationship is what relationship is all about. And so we want to offer people an opportunity to know more about the Lord through his word, because again, his word is, is the love letter that he wrote to us. And so, but, but that love letter needs to be unpacked and it needs to be, the meaning of it needs to be clearly emphasized and communicated through, through proper teaching. So that's, yeah, so our, that's why we offered it. That's why we do what we do. We started in local, our respective local churches. Nathan uh, was in his respective local church in New York City, and he was teaching for a number of years um, what, what were called evening college classes where anybody could just come and, and, um, you know, listen to a lecture on the book of Romans that was summarized and, and distilled. And I also taught for four years as the director of the evening college at my church. And I was teaching, Nathan was teaching, he was, he was having a lot more fun. He was teaching young adults. I was teaching baby boomers. So, <laughs> which you don't really teach baby boomers, right? <laughs> <laughs> baby boomers, baby boomers are there to teach you, but kind of in a, you know, in a, uh, in a um, reverse, you know, counterintuitive way. It's more baby boomers are there. For, for you to answer their questions <laughs> and for and for them to sound off on your on your yeah, comments yeah. <laughs> but but so anyways th- so that's the idea it, this whole thing came out organically it came out of years of teaching the church not years of you know, of you know um specialization or years of living in an ivory tower or you know some some sort of living in a seminary in some cubbyhole, never having interact human interaction. This came out of the local church and it came out of a desire uh, to, to fill the gap of the massive, the, the massive crevice, because it's so interesting that we have the most, you know, we have the most Bible Bibles anywhere in the world. We have millions and millions, probably billions of Bibles. We have, we have, you know, so much information, but so little instruction. Hmm. And so hmm. it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you access all of that? There has yeah. to be a, an access point. And so Theos U is an access point. It is a gateway to, to help people to, to access that through a curated experience. We are curating your content for you so that you don't, so that you don't have to figure it out all on your own. And that's why I think the most frustrating thing is, is to be, you know, handed a textbook and say, figure it out on your own. Everybody had that experience in school. Right. But we want to help people figure it out. And, and so that's why we're doing what we're doing. So if people want to find you, uh, Gabriel Finocchio or Theos, you, where, where do you want to send them today? 
Well, if they want to find me for the purpose of sending anthrax, they can <laughs> um, they can mail all anthrax to my brother's address, which um, get a pen and paper, folks. OK, it's it's Costa Mesa, California, Nathan <laughs> Finocchio. Um, so <laughs> if they want to find me, I'm online. Uh, I have Instagram um, begrudgingly. I I don't like social media, to be honest with you, but I have an Instagram. So Gabriel Finocchio is my handle on Instagram. Theos University is the, our handle on Instagram. And um, yeah, Nathan Finocchio is my brother's handle. And theosu.ca, we got a little Canadian, little Canadian address. Theosu.ca. Yeah, shout out to the Canadians. We are, listen, we are strong Canadian patriots. And so I, you know, I have Canadian flags post plastered all over my apartment. And I just, I wake up every morning and I sing before I do my prayer or anything. I just <laughs> sing, I sing the national anthem as a patriot. So <laughs> oh, man. Gabriel, it's, and then I drink, and then I drink maple. Syrup. <laughs> that's, what I, 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 that's how I, that's how I, you know, polish everything off. It's just big old cup of, cup of it. Oh, so, man. Oh man, it's uh, it's a delight to get to know you um, and just get, open up your brain a little bit and see what's inside. And uh, yeah, I hope people will will check this out. I want people to find you, but I want people to also see this theos you, you know, just to for as a resource for them, as a resource for their church community. I mean, I'll say I I haven't looked at it. I have not viewed any of the courses, uh, but the names of things like you're talking about Colossians and Hebrews and John, but then you're also doing stuff about defense against the dark arts. That is a fantastic <laughs> name for a course. You've got stuff on like transgenderism, LGBTQ, yeah. like you're, you're tackling yeah. some big issues and some yeah. stuff with, with, you know, with some Harry Potter humor. And, you know, I just appreciate <laughs> all of it. And, well, we try. Uh, yeah, we try to do everything you know, in a, in a, in a fun, humorous way, you know, just to, yeah, it's great. I don't know, life's, life's pretty serious. So That's why great. not, why not crack a joke or two? <laughs> well, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey, Joanna, great to be here. Great to, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Take care. Thanks so much, Gabe, for that conversation. Loved chatting with him on this episode of the podcast. Actually, we ended up talking for maybe almost an hour after the podcast officially stopped recording. So um, we talked about a lot of interesting theological topics and some maybe some more interesting and funny topics. I'm going to see if he might give permission for me to release that as a bit of a bonus episode because it turned into just like a really great conversation. Um, doesn't always happen that we get the chance to go longer after the podcast, uh, but love whenever that does. Next up on the podcast... Sheila Walsh. She's an author, TV host, communicator, and she has this glorious Scottish accent. So if you haven't heard her on my podcast or in other places before, you're going to enjoy it just for that. And we're going to be talking about how to pray because actually it's just so hard for us to pray. So often we struggle with how to pray in this really distracted world. So Sheila is going to come to us as sort of a mother or even a grandmother in the faith, um, offering up real rich insight. It's going to be a great conversation. Thanks to Compassion and to Wycliffe, of course, compassion.ca slash COVID is where you can donate today and you can partner with the local church to give a timely donation for 
for much needed food, medical care, and support during this pandemic that we're in. And WycliffeCollege.ca slash WordMadeDigital, free to check out courses you can take online if you want to grow in uh, your own theological training, but you're looking to get credit for it. Theosu is an awesome um, way to learn, but if you're looking to get credit, Wycliffe, Wycliffe College is where I love to send people. And hey, the last place I want to send you as a reminder, Digital Church Facebook group. If you aren't in the Digital Church Facebook group yet, you are missing out and it's a growing community where we're having some great conversation, networking, learning, connection, and some fun and giveaways along the way. So check out the link in this podcast or go to just go to Facebook and search for Digital Church and you're going to find the group. Okay, everyone. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.